I join with what Randy has said earlier in expressing my personal gratitude for your presence tonight. In fact, it is somewhat overwhelming. This reminds me of days long ago. Uh, I remember when I moved to Baghdad, we had an A-men corner over here and an A-women corner over here. It's been a long time since I've seen people sit in both corners. We're glad that uh, you brethren here at Pippin have those additions. And uh, this is really an excellent audience tonight in more ways than one. So many of you I've known for, well, a long, long time. And uh, I am honored by the presence of everyone in a personal way. But more than that, we should give the honor and glory to God. It speaks well of the church here at Pippin. I told a couple of the elders back there tonight... It's evident that you folks have advertised this meeting well, and you've invited people to come. And it's a compliment to brothers and sisters in Christ throughout this area, down into Jackson County and other places that have come to be with us in this series of meetings. I could talk at length about any number of people who are here tonight, but that's not the purpose for our being here. We'll just say that we're delighted you're here. We're honored by your presence. The church here thanks you, and the church here at Pippin has a great debt of gratitude to repay uh, when your meetings come around. So be sure to invite them uh, to come and uh, be with you when you have your gospel meetings and so on. If you're not a member of the Church of Christ, we're truly honored that you have come and blessed us with your presence tonight. Feel free to ask any questions of the brethren here or of me concerning the things that are said. We'll do our best to give you a biblical answer for the things that we believe, teach, and practice in view of what is written in God's holy and divine word. We cannot please God by following the doctrines and commandments of men. We please God by following His Word. He has spoken unto us by His Son today, not by Moses, not by the prophets. They had their day and they had their say. But Jesus Christ is the one to whom we are to look today in matters of religion. And we're to do all things by His authority. And I appreciate uh, the beautiful singing, the wonderful prayer. And in fact, I told Brother Dyer tonight, he said, do you have a song that uh, I need to lead? I said, well, I'm preaching on singing, so just sing whatever you want to. And uh, he has done a very remarkable job. Why do we sing in worship? We've been engaged in singing for a good while now, beautiful hymns, one of which I don't think I'd ever heard before, Brother Dyer, but it was still beautiful. And uh, we sometimes perhaps take it for granted. Maybe we assume that everybody in the religious world understands why we sing. Uh, we're not unique in that we sing. Many religious groups, most religious groups, of course, sing. Uh, that's not really a mark of distinction. But there are many of my religious friends who have often asked me, oh, why don't you use instrumental music in worship? And sometimes we spend a great deal of time discussing that particular aspect, which is very important and which will be involved in our lesson tonight. But sometimes members of the church have never bothered to think about reasons why we sing. I've been developing a series of lessons at Carthage that I start out with ten things. 
10 things about this subject, 10 things that you need to know about this theme. And uh, one of those lessons is 10 things you need to know about singing. And so we want to study with you that thought tonight. Most of you know that we have an annual singing at Carthage the last Friday night of September every year. We have some friends in town there over the years who have come and been at our singing. Uh, one man is a member of the denominational church, has led singing in denominational churches all over that area. In fact, he edited a songbook. He came to me one day and he said, Brother Anderson, if you would not mind, I would like to give you a copy of my songbook that I have edited. I said, well, I'd be happy to receive it. And so I have a copy of his songbook. There was a lady whose father was a long-time denominational preacher in Smith County, preached all over this area for the particular group of which he was a member. She came to our singing for years until her death. And she would often remark, I don't know how you folks do that. You sing all the parts, you stay together, and you do it all without a piano. She said, I think it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. And she would come every year to that singing. There was another friend, he's still living, he'd call me and tell me sometimes, or when he'd see me around town, he'd say, now, Brother Anderson, if you need me to bring you over a piano for your big singing, I'll be glad to do it. And I'll say, Joe, when you can sing, you don't need one. And we have a big life. We kid back and forth about it. But he understands that we do not use instrumental music and uh, that there are no doubt reasons why we do not use it. Uh, why do we sing? Reason number one is because the New Testament authorizes it. Sometimes people say, well, the best argument for singing in worship is good singing. I don't agree with that. The best argument for not using or for singing in worship is because God authorizes it. He tells us that that's what He wants. We're to worship Him in spirit and in truth, John 4, 23 and 24. We know that the truth is His Word. So our singing or our worship has to be directed by the dictates of His Word. And inasmuch as the New Testament does not authorize instrumental music and worship, that's why we do not use it. It authorizes singing. I remember Brother William Woodson, a former teacher of mine and a man that many of you in this audience, especially you preachers, have known of for many, many years, passed away not long ago. He came to Carthage several years ago for a gospel meeting, and he told a story about a man by the name of Floyd Decker who preached for the Christian church. Uh, that got my attention immediately because I thought that was my dorm mother's late husband when I was in school at Freed Hardeman College back years ago in the 60s. At any rate, he told the story about when Brother Decker was preaching for the Christian church, he engaged a gospel preacher in a debate on instrumental music. And so as the discussion progressed, uh, the gospel preacher put all the scriptures up on a board or a chart, I can't remember which, that authorized singing in worship. He left a blank space over to the other side and he said, now all I want Brother Decker to do 
is to put one New Testament scripture up here that authorizes music, instrumental music, in worship. That's all he has to do. Just give me one passage that authorizes instrumental music in worship. Well, the debate went on a couple of nights, and uh, the gospel preacher challenged him every night. Just put that scripture up there. That's all I want you to do. Here's all these scriptures here for singing. Now give me one scripture for instrumental music and worship. Well, Brother Decker's elders in the Christian church called Brother Decker aside and said, we want you to put that passage up there. And Brother Decker said, brethren, I'll be glad to do it if you'll tell me where it is. And they started talking and so on. And suddenly, come to think of it, we can't think of one either. Floyd Decker left the Christian church and began preaching for churches of Christ because of that. And his wife was our dorm mother when I went to Freed Hardeman. I never knew that at that time until Brother Woodson told that story as was related to him by Floyd Decker himself. No authority for it. That's why we don't play an instrument of music in worship. That is why we sing. It's authorized. And we intend to show you some of the passages tonight that authorize singing in worship. And I don't know about you, but... I'm glad God chose that. I don't know of anything that is more uplifting to me and evidently to a lot of other people than simply singing. We grew up singing at home. I remember singing on the front porch. In fact, one of Daddy's neighbors, Mr. Tom Brown, lived across a hollow about a mile as the crow flies, but it was seven miles by the road. Uh, would ask Daddy sometimes when he'd see him, uh, Johnny, when are you all going to have another singing? He could sit on his front porch and hear my uncles and aunts and daddy and mama and everybody and all of us kids singing over at our house, especially if the wind was blowing right. He could hear it very, very well. Reason number two, we sing in worship because Jesus and his disciples sang. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, Matthew 26, verse 30. Think about the trial through which our Lord was about to go. Some translations say that that word hymn could be translated psalm, as in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. At any rate, if they sang one of the Old Testament psalms, uh, I don't know which one it would have been. But no doubt it was a hymn that was designed to encourage and inspire but wouldn't that have been a momentous occasion to have been there and heard Jesus and his disciples singing? That's really a great thought to contemplate. Our Lord engaged in singing just prior to a difficult ordeal that he would face, one that would dwarf any trial or tribulation through which we go in this life. But our Lord sang, I want to follow in his footsteps. 
And when the disciples of the Lord meet today and we sing, it blesses us in so many, many ways. Reason number three, we sing because the early disciples sang. I want to mention specifically one example. Paul and Silas are said to have been praying and singing about midnight when they were in that Philippian jail. They were fastened in stocks, and yet they were singing praises to God. I would have probably been feeling sorry for myself. I don't know about you. But I think I know a lot of people who would have been feeling sorry for themselves. And yet here they are praying and singing praises to God. That tells us that when we're going through difficult times, perhaps one of the best things we can do is sing. I've read of soldiers and armies even that perhaps were simply worn out, worn to a frazzle, as we sometimes say, and yet they energize themselves by singing. There's just something about it that lifts our spirits. Paul and Silas were remarkable workers in the kingdom of the Lord. In fact, we've been studying Acts on Wednesday night at Carthage in our auditorium class. And it is amazing at the transformation wrought in the life of this man. And it's so ironic and such a great paradox that the man who had been arresting Christians and delivering them to perhaps be put to death finds himself in a situation in which he had no doubt placed a lot of other people. And now he's having to experience the same thing. A man who persecuted Christians even to the death is now being persecuted and uh, eventually, of course, gives his life, loses his life because of his faith in Christ and his devotion to God. You cannot help but be inspired by their example. We sing also, according to Romans 15, for the purpose of praising God. We tried to catch a glimpse of how good God has been to us and that lesson that we delivered yesterday afternoon as we preached on the subject of these are but men. We looked at that question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And we talked about so many of the wonderful, amazing things that God has done that we might be blessed, that our sins might be forgiven, and that we might have some hope when we had no hope to be delivered from the clutches of sin, the bonds of sin that hold so many so tightly. And as you think about that, you cannot help but desire to praise God. In Romans 15, verse 9, uh, really verse 8 beginning, he said, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. That is, the gospel was preached to the circumcision, the Jews, 
that indeed those promises that had been made to their fathers might be fulfilled. And thy seed, Abraham, shall all nations be blessed. And uh, that included the Jews as well as the Gentiles. And so verse 9 says, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. The Jews should have already known about the mercy of God. That the Gentiles, the nations, as they're sometimes called, might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Why would you sing unto his name? To give praise to him for the mercy that he has extended to sinful men. Sinners Jesus will receive. Remember that old hymn? So many songs remind us of the fact that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. If that isn't a reason for singing, I don't know what would be. When you contemplate the hope that we have, the joy, the peace, the contentment that we have only in Christ, One could not help but sing. The psalmist had quoted that passage back in Psalm 18. I believe it's about verse 49. Look on over just a moment to Hebrews. In chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews, I believe it's verse 12. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praise unto thee. I'll sing praise unto thee. I'll do it in the church. What a marvelous thought that is. In the next place, we need to sing because the church is admonished to do so. Remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he was discussing the matter of spiritual gifts. He inserted this thought in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 14 by asking the question, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Do we understand what we sing? There are many words sometimes that we use in songs that uh, we perhaps do not appreciate. Here I raise my Ebenezer. You've probably heard of that one. Go back and look that up sometime. There was an old gentleman many years ago who said, Now, we sing that song, you know, spurn you not the invitation. What we need is more spurning of the invitation. Well, he obviously didn't understand what the word meant. Sometimes we sing things that maybe we do not understand. Perhaps we need to study the words of the song as well as studying from our Bible. I've known of song leaders who would notice things that uh, were not scriptural and they would reword the song. I mentioned Brother Rufus Harris yesterday. He was a master at that. One Sunday morning he got up and the old Christian hymns number two or three, I've forgotten which one, 
And he said, we're going to sing number 26 as a song of invitation. And for those of you who don't remember those old songbooks, that was, Oh, Why Not Tonight? And I thought, Rufus, what in the world are you doing? Singing, Oh, Why Not Tonight? on Sunday morning. He said, we're going to sing this song differently. Today is the day of salvation, so we're going to sing it, Oh, Why Not Today? Brethren, that'll work. Because that song we sang that morning was just as beautiful as it was when it was sung at night. At any rate, we need to be careful about singing error as well as preaching error. We sing because we're admonished to do so. Now let's look at some more familiar passages. In Ephesians 5 verse 19, the Apostle Paul there wrote a passage you're well familiar with. When he said, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's a number of things that we need to emphasize from that passage. It's been pointed out by those who know the Greek language a lot better than I do. Uh, they point out that it's talking about reciprocal action here, something that we do to one another or toward one another, speaking to yourselves, not just talking to yourself. You know, there's some of us who are getting to that age where we do that quite often when we're out somewhere especially and uh, begin don't have anybody else to talk to us. So we just talk to ourselves. The idea, however, is talking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's been noted many, many times. Not, uh, this is not something that I came up with. But it's been noted by pioneer preachers throughout the years and many preachers who are in this audience tonight. In fact, somebody told me tonight, if you have anything or run out of anything to preach on, you just preach on preachers because there's so many here tonight. At any rate, notice making melody in your heart. There's the instrument. People oftentimes want to know, where's the instrument? Well, it's right there, making melody in your heart. That's where the melody is to be made. I believe it was in one of Brother Hardiman's debates that he pointed out very clearly, yes, the word means plucking, but the instrument is named here. And it's like you're plucking the chords of the heart, the mind of man. That part of his being with which he believes and uh, with which he thinks and reasons and so on and by which he is energized. The will is a process of the heart as well. At any rate, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Our worship is directed to the Lord. Oh yes, there's action taking place between one another. But then it goes up to God. And sometimes we lose sight of that perhaps. We don't sing to impress people. We sing to impress God. We sing to make melody in our hearts to the Lord. So many people have turned uh, in different directions in reference to worship because they've forgotten who the audience in worship is. They forget that the audience is in heaven. And that's where worship is to be directed. I've talked with people over the years. Well, 
We use instrumental music because I like it. Well, I enjoy instrumental music too. In fact, I agree with the great commentator Adam Clark who said music is a science I esteem and admire. But it's not to be found in the house of the Lord. He was talking about instrumental music. Brother Alan Hires did a wonderful study of this matter. And I heard him say that he had heard some of these quotes from denominational people. But he said, I'd had trouble nailing one or two of them down to where I could document it from their own writings. And if I remember correctly, it was at the library in Freed Hardeman, or at Freed Hardeman, that he found this little small book. And one quote that he had been looking for for so many years, he said, lo and behold, there it was, from the pen of this denominational preacher. Spurgeon, one of the greatest Baptist preachers that ever lived, preached in a vast cathedral there in uh, London for many, many years. As long as he preached there, he never permitted instrumental music. And there's people from all denominational backgrounds that will tell you that years ago it was not used in any of the churches. Eastern Orthodox Church, so far as I know, still does not use it because they said that it was not to be done in the church. A cappella singing, a cappella as in the church. That's the meaning of it. And that's the way it was done, for the music that was then found in the church was singing for centuries. And I remember Brother Thomas Scott telling us in a church history class at Freed Hardeman, here is when instrumental music was introduced into the church, and then it was removed because there were so many objections to it. But as so often is the case with so many things, not only in the religious realm, but in the, quote, moral realm as well, we let it ease back in so many times. Oh, we can defeat liquor with a drink, and then before you know it, it's up again, and lo and behold, people are kind of tired of it, and so, well, you know, maybe it won't be so bad anyway. Same thing happened in reference to abortion and so many other moral issues that you can think about. And the same thing happens in religious circles. That's the way instrumental music was introduced into the churches back centuries and centuries ago. And now it's become so commonplace that people just seemingly don't think anything about it. I have a picture somewhere in my files Barbara says it's a wonder I can find anything so I probably can, would have trouble finding it but there is a picture that appeared years ago in the paper at Carthage when the Lord's church was split over instrumental music and those who were clamoring for, for it finally got enough hold that they brought in the piano. And there was a picture in the Carthage paper of all the men of the church that were in favor of the instrument gathered around that piano, and that appeared in the Carthage paper. They were so proud of it. But the hearts of a lot of other people were broken as they had to leave that place of worship 
and go off and begin meeting at another place, which is where I now preach. That occurred as late as the 1940s. There was an elderly sister there who said, you will bring the instrument in over my dead body. They did. When she died, their most, the most staunch opposer of it had had her voice silenced and the instrument was brought in. That church no longer meets. The building has since burned. I knew some of those people. I visited with them after I moved to Carthage. There were families that were divided just like during the Civil War. There was a man who came to the services where I preach. His wife, I believe, played the piano at the Christian church. You cannot imagine the heartache that it caused. We sing not to please people. The music that we use in worship is not designed to please people. It is designed to please God. And mechanical instruments of music have no heart. They cannot teach or instruct. They have no voice, really. They simply produce sounds that are produced by metal, wood, whatever. And as I said, there's nothing wrong with music as a science for us to enjoy. But it's not designed for us to be used, or for, for it to be used in worship. A companion passage is Colossians 3. Let's look at that a moment. This passage says, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Notice, singing is designed to teach, to instruct, to admonish one another. Singing is one of the tools by which we can uh, impart truths to each other. That's the reason that I said a while ago, it's so important that we sing the truth as well as preaching the truth. To encourage people, to encourage one another, uh, to be strong in the Lord. This wording is a little bit different, but you'll notice that it emphasizes in your hearts to the Lord. Again, Paul makes that point. But therein is found another reason to teach and admonish one another, to instruct one another. Uh, we also are encouraged in Hebrews 13, 15 to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Uh, there, as uh, the Hebrews writer writes, he says, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Somebody says, well, now that's talking about other things. I would not disagree that there's not included here even our daily speech. But I believe there is included in this idea here or this passage also the concept of our singing in worship. That would certainly be the fruit of our lips as well, wouldn't it? It's amazing that the blessing it is when... The lips are in tune with the heart, and the heart's in tune with the lips, and the heart is in tune with God's Word. What a blessing it is to be able to sing. We also 
need to sing, as James said, and you'll notice that I've just gone through the New Testament and looking at these passages. In James 5, verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Singing it can express our cheerfulness. Do you ever have a reason to be happy? Oh, I do. Every time I think about my wife, my family, my dear mother who's still at 93 is with us. When I think about all of God's blessings that he's showered upon us through his son, there are so many reasons to be cheerful. Cheerfulness is to be a part of Christians. Even when we give, God loves a cheerful giver. So if any is cheerful, let him sing. Now these are all biblical reasons for singing. But I want to mention just a few other things in passing to give you something to think about. We can uh, sing to not only express our cheerfulness and our joy, but we can also sing to express our grief. So many times we sing at funerals. There's an individual who lost his lovely little daughter years ago at Carthage. I say little. She was already in her 30s, but she had had a problem from birth and uh, was sort of like a, a very severely Down syndrome child. And I was sitting by him one Sunday when we sang his little daughter, who had just passed away a few weeks before, her favorite song. And oh, it was so hard for him to sing. In fact, I looked over at him. Tears were streaming down his cheeks. But he was singing. That was his little girl's favorite song. And he was singing it. She couldn't, wasn't supposed to be able to read. Uh, couldn't read numbers or anything like that, but she could always find Send the Light in the songbook. Always. And she had sometimes, she called me Creature, she'd say, Creature, sing this one during singing night. Be 202, Send the Light. At any rate, we sing because of our grief sometimes, not only our joy. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We sing to prepare ourselves for the ordeals of life. Most of us have read or sung at one time that beautiful old hymn, Ready to Suffer. That was written by a woman who lived in the Baghdad community of Jackson County. Mrs. Damon Carter Snotty. And I was told by someone who knew her personally that she had a difficult time in life. And so she penned the words of that song. Go back and read them sometime. You see, we can help strengthen ourselves for the ordeals of life by singing to God. We can prepare ourselves to face temptation. Yield not to temptation. For yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. 
Remember, fight manfully onward. Strong passion subdued. Look ever to Jesus. He'll carry you through. Isn't that what the Hebrew writer said? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's what we do when we sing praises to God. We sing to remind ourselves of our duties. Oh, a charge to keep I have. That reminds us that we have a charge. We've been charged with a task. God's people are to remain faithful to Him in face of any adversity. We have a responsibility that nobody else in this world has. A responsibility that's greater than the President of the United States, any congressman, anybody you want to think about. And that is to glorify God and encourage the doing of His will upon this earth, in this present evil world. I like to sing because it reminds me of the great themes of God's holy word. The marvelous scheme of redemption. Think about it. God gave His only begotten Son to redeem us from our sins. Salvation. So many other things. The marvelous grace and mercy of a loving Heavenly Father. In these songs we express our faith, our hope, our love. But I love to sing too. Because it reminds us of our desired destination. Sing to me of heaven. I remember an afternoon service in which we gathered at a, in an old brother's house. He was on his deathbed. He would never be able to <clears throat> come back to services again. Some of us gathered there and just spent time with him. And that's what he requested. Sing to me of heaven. We all need to think about that. We're reminded of that in the beautiful hymns that we sing. Don't you want to go there? I'm sure you do. If you're not a New Testament Christian, if you've never honored and respected the authority of Jesus Christ, remember it's through Him alone that we come to the Father, John 14, 6. There's no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man, regardless of his power or position in life, regardless of the money he has, doesn't make any difference. No man comes unto the Father but by me, except by me. Sometimes people say, boy, preacher, that's awfully exclusive. That is what makes him so precious. He is the only way. To heaven. If you've never obeyed the gospel, why not be baptized into Him where all spiritual blessings are found this very night? You have no assurance of tomorrow. We learned that lesson yesterday morning, didn't we? Somebody told me not long before services tonight of an individual right here in this community in his 50s who passed away just a little while ago. We have no assurance of another day. If you're not prepared to meet your maker, 
Why not come tonight and obey the gospel? Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you're an erring child of God, don't tarry any longer. Come back home and ask God's forgiveness and be restored. If you're subject, we bid you come as we stand and sing.